0: The reading of God's Word this morning comes from James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Hear the Word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will he of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we would sh- that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures the grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of our god stands forever
1: let's pray together our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a time set aside in our week to gather together and to come into your presence and we thank you that we have a time set aside um, to sit beneath your word and we pray this morning that you would give us great confidence as we sit beneath your word because all we have to do is open the very first page of Your Word to us to be reminded that when You speak, great and wonderful things happen. You call the whole of the universe into being simply by the Word of Your power. And when Your Son walked this earth, it was by the Word of His power that He spoke to the blind and they received their sight, to the deaf and they were made to hear, to the lame and they were made to walk. It was By the power of his voice that he even called into the tomb, Lazarus, come out, and the dead was brought to life. Father, we pray that you would give us great confidence as we sit beneath your word this morning, and that we would be reminded that you are at work now. And what we need you to do for us is we need you to proclaim the good news of the gospel to us, to lift our eyes to see Jesus to be amazed in wonder at His beauty and at Your love for us. Father, we pray that You would do this for us and for our good, but also for the glory of Your name. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I forgot to break the news at the beginning that there's no children's church this morning. So. Please nobody throw anything at me or anything like that. I, sometimes I try to warn you, but this, this morning is kind of like ripping off a Band-Aid. Um, here it is, no children's church. Um, now listen, we have we are now in the fourth week of uh, studying the book of James, uh, which is going to take us through the fall. And each week we've been dialed into a few verses at a time. And when you do that, sometimes it's, it's easy to miss the forest for the trees. And what I mean by that, as it relates to James' letter, is this. By the time we get to the end of James chapter 1, um, which we're not quite there yet, but by the time we get to the end of chapter 1, it, it will become very clear that the big theme of James' letter, I mean, the whole big point of his letter is really relationships, relationships, um, and really how the good news of the gospel um, really shapes and forms and changes all of our relationships. Um, And that's what his letter is about. But chapter 1, so far, um, is so very obviously not about relationships. Um, In fact, chapter 1 is calling us not really to think about others, but to think about ourselves, if you read through chapter 1. Um, because James is saying that we need to reflect individually, and we need to individually and personally deal with um, and, and figure out how we're going to respond and how we're going to handle the hardness of life, um, the, very, the inevitable various trials that come into our lives. And so James has been saying, reflect on this because Depending on how you handle your trials you 'll either through your trials be made more mature or you will find yourself growing harder harder um, because if you here 's what James is saying in chapter one he 's saying if you handle your trials properly in life you 're going to find yourself growing in kindness and empathy and compassion and strength and joy and confidence and all of these things but He's also saying if you don't handle your trials properly, um, you're going to find yourself growing bitter in life, and you're going to find yourself becoming more and more fearful and anxious and angry and hard. So the question is, why did James start here by asking us to reflect on ourselves individually and how we handle trials when the whole theme of his book is relationships, and I think this is what James is saying. He's saying, before you can ever care for others well, you need to take care of your own heart first. Um, You aren't going to be any good in relationships out there until you first dealt with your own heart, until you first dealt with the enemy that lies within your own heart. In C.S. Lewis' book *Voyage of the Dawn Treader*, which was one of his books in his Chronicles of Narnia series, there was this character named Eustace, Um, and Eustace was just this awful little boy. Right, Um, he couldn't get along with anyone in the in this story, and he was just he was spoiled, he was greedy, he was self-absorbed, he was just a little brat, and. One day, um, Eustace I can't get into the whole story uh, remember, it is fantasy story when I tell you this next part but one day Eustace fell asleep, and he woke up and he had been transformed and changed into a dragon, right? And now, see, in, in Lewis's little story for Eustace, now all of a sudden, his outward appearance matched his truly terrible and horrifying and beastly heart within him, right? So one evening, the lion Aslan, who is Lewis's picture of Jesus in his stories of Chronicles of Narnia, one night this lion Aslan came to Eustace, and Eustace had been desperately trying with his dragon claws to peel off the dragon skin um, and get back to his boy uh, form, and he just couldn't do it. He couldn't dig deep enough in order to do it, and so Aslan told Eustace this. He said, "You will you will have to let me undress you." And so Eustace later described that experience when he laid down before Aslan the lion, and Aslan undressed him. And this is what he said: "The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt." The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, The skin was peeled off, and Eustace was a little boy again, um, and he was reborn, uh, you might say. He was transformed, and all of a sudden… As you read the stories, he's very, very different. I mean, he used to be this spoiled, greedy, self-absorbed little brat, and now all of a sudden he is eager to serve, and he's compassionate, and he's kind, and he's humble, and he's selfless. You see, Lewis is telling this story to say the enemy within him, the dragon within him, it had to be slain. It had to be defeated. And now not only was Eustace himself healed, Right, But Lewis was also saying when he got healed, all of his relationships got healed as well. Um, So here's what I want to say to you this morning. If we're going to be any good in our relationships, we have to deal with this enemy that is within us. Um, And here's what James is saying in verses 12 through 18. He's saying trials may come from outside of you. But the temptation to sin, that comes from within, and we have to deal with that dragon. We have to be healed there. That enemy has to be conquered. And so here's what I want to. i have got three points for us as we work through these verses. First, every trial in life, James is telling us, is also a temptation. And then second, he tells us that every sin in our lives is a product of… Of our desires. And then the third thing he tells us is that every good gift comes from our Father above. And so I'll repeat those as we go. I know they're kind of long, but first and briefly, every trial is also a temptation, James says. James is, he's doing something really insightful and cool here, if you can catch it. He's saying, no matter the circumstance in your life, it can be seen from two perspectives, right? On the one hand, he's saying it can be seen as a trial that can grow you up and mature you and make you complete and whole, the, the person God intends you to be in life, right? But he's also saying, on the other hand, you can see it from the perspective that it's a temptation to you to sin, right? And if you take that route, it's going to harden you. It's going to cause you to be bitter and anxious and fearful, all the things we said a little while ago. This is kind of a corny illustration, but… We, we acknowledge the power of perspective when we ask someone about a glass of water. We say to them, do you see this glass as half full or half empty, right? Um, and it's our little question that's designed to reveal whether the person looking at that glass of water is seeing it from the perspective of, an optimist or a pessimist. You know, it's half full or it's half empty. Uh, Same glass, same amount of water, but seen as either half empty or half full depending on the circumstance. See, James is saying the same circumstances that come into your life, that can either be seen as trials or temptations to sin. So how does James get this point across? It's actually not very easy to see this in the English, but in the Greek… The word that you see translated trial or your translation might say test, all throughout chapter 1 is the same exact word that gets translated in this passage as tempted or tempt in verses 13 and 14. Same exact word. You know, it's a genius play on words for James because he's making this point. The same event. The same circumstances in your life can either be seen from the perspective of trial or temptation. And this, this is what I, I meant to tell Trace to reread verses 9 through 11 that we looked at last week, Because, but I forgot, uh, so my fault. But this is what James was basically saying. He was saying, if you pa- fall into poverty, right, that's a trial and therefore also a temptation. It can be a temptation in your life to bitterness, and despair, and fear, and envy. But he was also saying if you fall into riches and into wealth, he was saying that that's a trial. And it's also a temptation because it's a temptation to pride and self-sufficiency and arrogance. And, you know, James, last week when we were looking at that, James used material wealth and poverty to illustrate his point. But his point could have been made in a number of different ways because he could have chosen from any of life's contrasts, right, loneliness or companionship. Those are both trials and temptations depending on how you look at them. A long married life and unexpected bereavement can be seen either as a trial or a temptation. The same goes for health and sickness, joy and sorrow, hope uh, fulfilled and hope disappointed, affirmation and rejection, because here's what James is really saying. He's saying any circumstantial change in your life, it it can be both a trial and a temptation. Um, It will either harden you. Or soften you. It will either make you cold or warm your heart and make you empathetic. It will either make you more confident or more suspicious and fearful. It will either make you more joyful or more bitter. Now, listen, we're almost into the next point, but let me tell you why I think this is so important and how this really leads into the next two points. Um, when we ask someone, do you see this glass of water as half full or half empty? It's a question designed to reveal, right? It's a question designed to reveal something about that person that's internal, um, their perspective or their disposition. And listen, every change in circumstance in your life and in mine, James is saying, is revelatory. It reveals what is within us. It brings out from within us what is stored up in the heart, right? It brings to the surface the deep loves, hopes, and longings of our life. What it's really doing is it's bringing out our truest and deepest desires. Every trial is also a temptation in life, and every change in circumstance is going to reveal something about our internal desires. So second, I want us to talk about those desires um, because James is telling us secondly this. He's telling us that every sin is a product of our desires. See, James was writing verses 13 th- in verses 13 through 16 telling us not to be deceived. Um, what he's saying is he's saying don't make this mistake. Don't make the mistake of calling the trial in your life the cause of the sin in your life or the origin of the sin in your life. Um, James, he's bending over backwards in these verses to say God is not the source. He's not the cause or the origin of temptation in your life. So verses 13 through 14, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And so you see, James is acting like a like a diagnostic kind of technician. And he is, he is revealing to us and pinpointing the origin of the temptation of sin. Desire, verse 15, Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it, is fully, uh, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And you think about that metaphor that he uses, which is kind of a strange metaphor for him to use, because when you think about birth, You think about joy and new beginnings and life and everything. But what James is saying here is he's saying your desires in your life, they bring about sin, and sin brings about death into your life. Now, I'm guessing that some of you have noticed this over the past 10 years or so, um, if you've been paying attention to uh, the movies anyway, because there have been a lot of of superhero movies that have been coming out, right? A lot of Batman and Superman and X-Men and Captain America and Iron Man and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so my point in saying that is to capture the attention of males 8 to 45 um, this morning. But anyway, <laughs> if you've noticed this, you know, this all these superhero movies, right, so many of them are going back in time as prequels. Um, they're going back in time to tell us the origins of all these different superheroes. Um, you see, when I was a kid, um, we just didn't get into all that. We didn't need that. We, just, we were amazed that Superman could fly and they could put it on TV. It was amazing, right? Um, but listen, we're not content with that anymore. Um, we want the story. We want the, the narrative, um, right? We want to hear about the origins, um, because it's the narrative, and it's the story, really, that reveals the motivation and the environment and the causes that led to the creation of these superheroes, and it, and it explains so much about them to us. Um, and so does James, when he says here that Every sin is a product of our desires. It explains so much about us, right? How so? How are our desires the origin of all sin in our lives? Well, when James wrote in the Greek, um, we're getting into the Greek this morning, um, when he wrote what's translated there as desire in verse 14 and 15, he didn't just use the Greek word for desire, which is thumos. Um, What he did was he added a prefix prefix to that word, uh, the Greek word epi, um, to form the word epithumia. And here's what that prefix means. That prefix means hyper or above or over. See, he's saying that the origin of your sin and mine is really over-desire. It is desire that is out of control in your life. It is desire on steroids, really. He's saying we never sin without wanting to sin. Our over-wanting of things, our over-desire is what leads to sin and death. Um, And so some of us will say, uh, you know, it's not my fault. Uh, My boss said that if I don't do this, then I'll be fired. You know, I didn't want to sin. I had to sin. I had to lie. And James is saying, no, you didn't have to lie. But you desired the comfort and you desired the security of your position or your job more than you desired the truth, right? Or you, you might say something like, um, it's not my fault. And I've heard this, and you've probably heard this before too. It, it's not my fault. I wouldn't have committed adultery on my spouse if they had given me the affection that I needed. And James is saying, no, no you didn't have to commit adultery. Your over-desire for the affection or the adoration of another led to your affair because you, you desired the affection and the adoration more than faithfulness in that moment. Or, or you say, it's not my fault. I wouldn't have lost my temper. I wouldn't have said those horrible things if she hadn't criticized me like that. Um, no, you didn't have to lose your temper. And you didn't have to say those horrible things, but you desired your reputation more than the concerns of your friend. Your over-desire in life, and my over-desire in life, it is what always leads us into sin. Now, listen, having said that, there is something deeply humanizing, I think, about recognizing this. Um, and, And that is, this means, what James is saying is he's saying, we're not animals. And we're not machines with automated and programmed responses, right? This means that we're not helpless victims of our past experiences, of our environments, and our circumstances. Do those things affect us? Absolutely. But James is saying we always have a choice, that we're always making choices in life, and we always choose what we most desire, and so, I think there really is something deeply humanizing about what James is saying here, because even though this tells us that there is something wrong with our desires, right, that there is an enemy within and our desires are run amuck and they're out of control, there's also something deeply human about the fact that we have desires, right? I, you know, I'm about to move into the last point, but let me say one thing before we leave this point that every sin in our lives is a product of desire. Um, If you really want to understand yourself, um, and if you want to move beyond in your life uh, the legalistic moralism and behaviorism uh, that you have so long associated with Christianity, um, and if you really want to expose what's within you, you have to ask the question, why? Why? I mean you have to trace the narrative in your life the story back to its origins. You have to ask why does this or that in my life make me so afraid? Or why does this make me so excited? Or why does this make me so angry? Why do I often feel in life like I don't have a choice? Why do I feel at times like I have to lie? That I have to give in to that temptation, that I have to react in anger, that I have to numb myself to reality? that uh, I have to try and control everything. Why, why, why? James is saying if you can trace the story back, if you can trace the narrative back, the why to your sin is always your desire, your over-desire, right? What is it that you feel like in life you have to have, that you're miserable without it, and you won't be happy unless you can get it, or you won't be secure unless you can get it? What is that? Because that's what you truly and deeply desire, is what James is saying. So this brings us to our last point, which is this. Every good gift is from our Father. But before I get into this point, I, I want to set this up for you. Um, and um, it, So let me preface what I'm going to do here by saying this. I do not listen to Howard Stern's radio show. Um, but I read an article um, in the New York Times about a month ago um, About Howard Stern because a lot of people were starting to notice. Apparently, I didn't know this because again, I do not listen, nor do I encourage anybody here to listen to the Howard Stern radio show. But um, but listen, lately he has been conducting some really amazing and deep interviews with celebrities. um, Interviews that are going far beyond the surface of people's lives and that are really very humanizing. And the author cited a number of examples. I'm just going to use one of them. Um, uh, Howard Stern's interview with the comedian and actor Bill Murray. Um, At a certain point in this interview, uh, Stern asked Murray why he hasn't found any great love in his life up until this point. And Murray said, he basically said, dating seemed like a very bad idea. Given that he was such a mystery um, uh, to himself, and a mystery, he said, that he was not eager to solve. Um, And so Stern's co host asked this question. She said, What has stopped you from getting in touch with the real you? And this is what Murray said. He said, What stops us from looking at ourselves and seeing ourselves is that we are kind of ugly. If we look really hard, we're not who we think we are. We're not, we're not as wonderful as we think we are. Now, listen, I, I don't think I have to tell you, but there is Bill Murray, and I think you can feel it from what he's saying there. He is teetering on the edge of something deeply humanizing. Um, he's saying, there's something within me. He's even saying, I think there's an enemy within me. But he's also saying, I don't want to go there. I don't want to look there. I don't want to talk about that. There's an ugliness that I don't want to see. There are desires inside of me that are out of control and run amok. We are not who we think we are. We're not as wonderful as we think we are. And so here's the question as we get into this last point. What do we do about that? Right, what do we do about it? How do we go about bringing these over-desires in our life? How do we go about bringing them under control? And James' answer to that is to get us to see this final point, that every good gift is from your Father. Listen, to stand in wonder and awe of God's goodness and His love for you that is what will break the hold of sin in your life. That is what will bring all your over desires under control. And so I want to take a, us take a look at this as we end. In verse 16, James wrote, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now, I, I need you to do some thinking with me in this last point, okay? I want you to think back to the very beginning of the Bible. Because I think it's very interesting that the Bible describes how the, how the first man and woman entered into and fell into sin. Because it describes it like this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. The origin... Of all sin is desire or over desire, but that's not all that's interesting about Genesis three because when god when God approached the woman and said and asked her, "What is this you have done?" do you remember her response she said, "The serpent what deceived me, and I ate now I wish I could do more with this than, than we have time for this morning, but here is James telling us that the origin of all sin in our lives is desire, and he's telling us that we need to be careful that we're not deceived. I mean, just like it was in the garden. These last few verses, verses 16 through 18, they are all in some way confronting and contradicting the deception that's present in verses 13 and 14. And it's the same basic deception that was present in the garden, right? The thought that God Himself must be tempting us. I mean, He was the one who put the tree in the garden, didn't He? Right? The, the thought that he's, He must be keeping something good from us. He doesn't love us. If He really loved us, He wouldn't keep us from eating that fruit. Why do we feel so strongly at times in our lives where we feel so strongly, I have to have this, I have to do this, I must get this, I can't be happy without this, I'm miserable until I get that? I mean, we are like cosmic orphans, adrift and unmoored in the world. We've got to take control, right? We've got to grasp and get the comfort, the security, the reputation, the pleasure we feel like we need. And why is that? Because we don't believe We do not believe that God loves us and that He only wants good for His children. Ever since the garden. And that's the suspicion that's always lurking around in our hearts. We don't think He really loves us, and we don't think He means us good in life. Now listen, I've thought about this a good bit this past week because I think James is saying more I think he's certainly saying more than just don't give in to temptation. I mean, he's telling us how not to give in to temptation, to be convinced that we have a Father who knows us, and he knows us to the very bottom. He knows the ugliness in our hearts that we are all the time, like Bill Murray said, trying to avoid and not wanting to see. He knows all of that, And James is saying, He loves you to the very bottom of your soul. He is your Father. You know, I thought about this because it just isn't, it's not just the content of what James tells us here about God. That's really important. But it's also how he tells us this in these verses. Because do you notice how poetic he is in verses 17 through 18? He's not just saying, Good gifts come from God, he's saying, Every good gift comes from the Father. But not just the Father, the Father of lights, perfect in His purity, but not just the Father of lights, the Father who is unchanging, who is always faithful to His people. But it's even more than that. I mean, our over-desires, James tells us, they conceive sin in us, and sin conceives and brings forth death. But this is what he says in verse 18, God Himself birthed you of his own will he brought us forth by the word of his truth. He came into this world with his huge powerful lion-like claws, right, to peel off the dragon's skin, to slay the enemy within, and to make us new. He came to transform us, James is saying. He came to, and he gave us life, verse 18, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You know, first fruits—that is a loaded term in the Bible. It comes straight out of the Old Testament, and it comes out of the Old Testament where God commanded His people to always bring Him the first fruits of their crops, right? And this is what first fruits meant in the language of the Bible. It meant three th- three things actually. It meant that this fruit belonged especially to God, and it meant that this was the best. Of everything, the cream of the crop, right? Set apart. And it was a reminder to his people that God always, always keeps his promises to his children. I mean, it was a reminder to his people saying, You are his treasured possession, right? You are his child. You are not a cosmic orphan anymore. Why is James so poetic in these last few verses? Because he knows that when you see the beauty of the gospel, it will break the hold of sin on your heart. He knows that your heart and mine, it is in constant danger of freezing over. And only the gospel can come in and break up that ice so that it doesn't freeze over. It's when our hearts are warmed with a desire to bask in the sunshine of His love that our desires begin to come under control again. And the things of this life lose their appeal for us when we desire that. There was a family that had been waiting for months and months to travel to Eastern Europe to adopt their child. Um, They already knew His name. He was living in an orphanage. His name was Victor, and they had been waiting for months and months to go get him and bring him home, and when they finally arrived and were visiting the orphanage, I mean, it just broke their hearts what they saw. Um, They saw these children crammed into these tight little living spaces, six beds packed into what we would think of as a closet, Um, this run-down orphanage. And when they came to meet him, they brought him gifts, uh, toys and candy and all kinds of stuff like that. And he was thrilled and he was ecstatic, as you might imagine, right? Um, And they were too, because that was the day they had been longing for and waiting for to come and get him and bring him home. But when it came time to leave, he ran away from his new parents and it took them forever to find him. And finally, they found him in the orphanage, and he had gotten into a closet, a little closet, and he was clinging to another little boy in that closet, right? And they tried to pry him free, but he wouldn't let go. He was determined not to let go. And, um, and he said he wasn't leaving. And finally, they asked him why, and he said, this is what he said, he said, I'm not leaving, without my brother. And so that family, who thought they were bringing home one child, ended up bringing home two children, right? In Hebrews chapter 2, it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus, God's own son, he came and wrapped himself around you. And he said, I'm not leaving without him. I'm not leaving without her. Who are you? You are a child of God. James is saying you are the first fruits of his creation, and he wasn't going to leave without you. See, what James is saying is saying when that truth becomes even more than truth, and it becomes beautiful to you, and it becomes poetic to you, he says that's, listen, that's when you will find yourself able to stand steadfast in the trials of life. That's when you'll be able to stand against temptation and not give in. Because everything you could have ever wanted or ever needed is yours in Jesus. You are not a cosmic orphan anymore. You are the first fruits of His creation. And that truth needs to warm your heart and bring your desires under control. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. Father, we thank You that we do have the confidence that it is You who is speaking and proclaiming the good news to our ears. And Father, we pray that You would help us, that You would help us to understand ourselves, to know the enemy within us, to be aware in life that no matter the circumstances that come into our lives, they are revealing things about our desires. And often we confess that what gets revealed is that we love other things more than You. And we hope for things other than Your presence. And Father, we need You to come and by the power of Your gospel... The good news of Jesus, that you would remind us that you love us, that we are your first fruits. And Father, we pray that our love of you would grow and that it would dispel all other loves, that it would bring all our other desires under control to serve you because you served us and sent Jesus to die for us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.